Welcome to episode 69. Today, Dr. Brennan Beck joins us to talk about his experience as a monolingual, dual lingual educator. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. If I was asked to be a dual language educator right now, I would be very nervous even though I speak several languages. I am only academically proficient in English. However, after talking to Dr. Brennan Beck, who offers instruction in English as part of a dual language program at his school, I realized that monolinguals do also play a significant role in advancing students' linguistic repertoire. We also spent a lot of time talking about the principles in his new book entitled Unlocking Unlimited Potential. I hope you find his message quite inspirational. Now, on to today's podcast. Today with us is Dr. Brendan Beck. He is an adjunct professor, a teacher, a father, a recent father, congratulations, and an author of the recent book called Unlocking Unlimited Potential. Understanding the infinite power within to guide any student toward success. And so, Brennan, you uh, reached out to me and you wanted to talk about um, your book. And I said, oh, great. But first, let me start off with having you uh, introduce yourself to the audience beyond what I said. Sure. So my name is Dr. Brandon Beck. I am from Westchester County, New York in the United States. And I have been a teacher for the past 17 years. And I have been a dual language English zone teacher in my school district for the past 10 years. And that's why I'm excited to have you on because there are a lot of people who listen to the podcast who are monolingual but they work with language learners. And so uh, that fits your profile and you say, okay, how can we support them as well? So let's start off with talking about that. What is your experience with being a monolingual working at a dual language school? Yeah, absolutely. So I consider myself a monolingual bilingual educator. And I came up with that term when I was uh, several years ago when I was at a conference and I was presenting at the conference and what I wanted to do was I was doing a documentary that I designed about my school's dual language program that had been around. Now, just kind of rewind back a little bit further than that and just go into how I landed in being a dual language teacher, I think is a pretty important story. So our dual language program was working its way up through the grades. I'm a fifth grade teacher. And as it was coming up through fourth and fifth grade, I was always interested in being a part of it. And the reason I was always interested in being a part of it was because I really wanted the students to 
be a part of this awesome experience. And I really believed in the whole idea of understanding and accepting cultures and being a part of different cultures. And I really understand that and really appreciate the beauty of all that. So as they were coming up, nobody else kind of raised their hand. I never even doubted it. And I just threw my hand up in the air. I was like, of course, I w I'll be the dual language English zone teacher. I had no idea what it what it entailed. I had no idea what I what it was going to require of me. I just knew that I was going to have double the students and the same planning time as everybody else. And I didn't care. I jumped in. I was excited. I was excited about the experience. So I took on that experience. And about five years later, I was at this conference, the New York State Association of Bilingual Educators. And the gurus, what I consider the gurus around here of bilingual education were there. Ophelia Garcia was the, she was the, the keynote speaker. Yeah. And as she's speaking, she's, she's calling herself and everybody at this this conference is calling themselves dual link. They're all calling themselves, sorry, they're calling themselves bilingual educators. And I'm just hearing the word over and over bilingual educator. I'm a bilingual teacher. And I'm just not really relating to the term. I don't really mm. feel at this time, well, I'm monolingual. I'm teaching them English. So I'm not really a bilingual educator. I'm just me. I'm a monolingual educator. And as I'm sitting there and listening to all these stories and listening to all these people talk and I get ready to go and present at the conference and, and get ready to present my documentary, I, I kind of have an epiphany and like a light bulb moment and I stand up in front of everybody before I go and I say, I just want everybody to know that my name is Brandon Beck and I am a bilingual educator and I just realized that today. And... It was just that whole thing led me on a whole kind of revolution. And I was in a doctorate program at the moment and I was looking at a completely different topic. And right there and then I decided to change my topic and focus mm -hmm. on this area because I wanted to know if there were other people, other educators that were out there that were like me, who were monolingual, who maybe didn't have the confidence. And I focused my whole dissertation on the perception of teachers at, of L's and their on their preparation and how they basically so how they feel how do teachers of L's feel about their preparation to teach language learners are they prepared or not and so it led me on this whole road I had a chance to it was a qualitative study so I had a chance to interview all these other teachers that were in the same boat as me and also teachers that were that were you know grown up growing up as immigrants teachers that were bilinguals teachers that had many different cultures in their home and teachers who were monolingual just like me so i had a chance to to interview and, and work with so many different teachers through that process that it really became this moment of me embracing what i was uncomfortable in and how i took that challenge as an opportunity to grow and learn more so that I could become more equipped to work with my students. I love that you talked about how you developing confidence over time, but that it started right there at the moment. Like I am a bilingual educator. How can a person be a monolingual, uh, but be a bilingual educator, which they can be? Can you explain that? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, just like anything, it starts with you, right? So if, yeah. if you're teaching if you're teaching bilinguals and you're teaching students, whether you're teaching them English or whether you're teaching them Spanish or any other language that's out there, 
a lot of the teachers around me where I am in Westchester County, um, kind of, we're kind of like 20 minutes outside of New York City. There is a large Hispanic population. So a lot of people that speak Spanish are advantaged because they have that language background that they can use and they understand how to be a language learner and, and they understand how to go from one language to another. But that's not necessarily true if I have a kid in my class from Greece or from Russia or from a different country. So yes, we can definitely rely on that language and knowing that language, but there's still so many other languages out there. And I think sometimes where I am, because there's so many Spanish speaking students that people think that, oh, well, I know Spanish, I'm good to go. And it's just like anything with education, having a certificate or having a certain credential or a certain skill or a certain degree doesn't make you the best educator you are out there. And so focusing on what for me it was really understanding me and understanding that I can use languages as a background and I can focus at, on my cultural side and my understanding of, of students and, and their understanding of, of, cultural, of cultural heritage and being able to open up that conversation through social emotional learning and culturally responsive teaching. And there's other lenses and there's other avenues that I'm able to reach my students in than just the fact that I can't necessarily communicate with some of them in that other language, but I can use other resources. I can use the resources of an ESL push-in teacher. I can use the resources of so many different translating services that we didn't have 15 years ago that we do have now. Um, there's ways for me to kind of communicate with my students. I have a couple students in my class that are new to the country and I do whatever it is I can. One thing I do do is I start a journal experience with them where I write something in English, I translate it in Google Translate. It may not be the best. And then they do the same thing in their language and then they translate it in Google language. But we start a conversation. And the point is, is that you don't let something get in the way and just be like, well, I can't communicate with that kid. He's just gonna go sit on this computer with his headphones on. And that's just not you can't be that way. You have to take and consider all and consider all learners. And it's funny because as I went through this process, as I finished this process, as I finished my my dissertation, I was asked by the university that I did the dissertation in to be a adjunct professor for a class teaching teachers to get their ESL and TESOL degrees. And I don't have any of those certificates. I never, I don't have any of them, but I gained the confidence to be at that position and to write this class and to rewrite this class so that it was conducive to all that I learned. So now you've said confidence twice. And I, when I listen to podcast, podcast guests, when they say something more than once, that's like a, like, a, oh, let's go, let's go towards that path. How does one develop that confidence? Well, I mean, there's thousands of ways we, we do it. I mean, but, and it all depends on the person, just like it depends on the learner with anything. You know, we all have our own ways. But developing confidence for me is, is being able to understand how I can get students to relate to me, how I can get students mm -hmm. to to kind of give me information to help them learn and how I can learn and find those aha moments within and, and be able to find ways together that we can 
find and achieve success. For me, confidence, it, it comes from, you know, waking up every morning and, and saying five positive affirmations, writing down five pa positive affirmations, and then writing down five things I'm grateful for, and then taking five minutes to meditate. Like, those are ways, and there's so many different tools and so many different things that work for all of us, you know, whether you're a goal-oriented person or whether you're a task-oriented person. For me, I'm a goal-oriented person. I like to focus on results and, and at the end of the day and at the end of the week, and I have a certain process that I follow for kind of listing out my goals, understanding my purpose, and being able to kind of design a, an action plan around that. Um, and obviously with research and with resources, I mean, one of the ways that I became more confident was experience and talking to all these educators and knowing that I wasn't out there feeling this stuff alone. I wasn't out there feeling unprepared and all the research I was reading was that this feeling was everywhere. So many teachers are feeling unprepared. So many educators are feeling when it comes to English language learners, like English language, teaching English language learners, if you're in a school with a population of with a high population of language learners, yeah. it should be a part of every single professional development. Yeah. There should always be something that is addressed if that's really what if that's really what the population needs. And being able to kind of go through all of that and meet all of these teachers and talk to them about, you know, through an interview process was so rewarding for me because I had over 725 minutes of interviews with this, these teachers just talking about what made them more confident. What was it about a professional development that was more confident, that made them more confident than not? So for example, a professional development with a spray and pray approach where they come in and, and they talk about, you know, we had talked about like one teaching strategy related to English language learners and everybody was going to do it. And we were all going to commit to this new idea. And then three weeks later, four months later, we never talk about it again. Like those were really low on the list and really did a lot to negate people's confidence. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of in a nutshell, how I feel about all of, of that part. And the other thing too is, is that we constantly misunderstand. And what I noticed as I was doing this was the whole idea of an English language learner, right? So first of all, that whole assimilationist perspective, like, first of all, they're not just learning English. Yes. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the number one thing. Like these students aren't just learning English. They're also, re they're, it's, they're learning their other language and they might mm -hmm. even be tapping into other, you know, multilingual languages. They might other, other backgrounds that they may not have been considered. So we're not, as teachers, we're not just there to teach them English. If they're in, if they're in our country and they're in the United States and they're in our state and they're learning, but we kind of always have these standardized assessments that we're measuring these students by. And we're measuring them constantly from an English approach. And it's something that a lot of people don't really understand, especially teachers that may not have the, the background or the, or the expertise or the research of people who have gone and really dug down into this research. And the thing with language learners, I like, I use the word language learner because yep. it's not that they're learning that English. It's not that the, the English language learners in New York State where I am, they account for about 9% of what's really out there and right. we have i had we have in our classes and that was one of the things i had in my my dissertation we have in our classes so many students that 
go home to families where the main language in the home is not English. Right. And but those students, they might be above a certain benchmark and they're completely disregarded. But then they're disregarded because they're not considered an, an ENL or an English as a new language learner or an English language learner or whatever acronym we're using at that point. They're they're ignored by that because and they don't get the services. And so they're either put on the docket to, for up for special education and everybody's trying to figure out what's going on with these students. And really what's happening is it's the system. It's not necessarily the school. It's just the way we have we have documented these students and the to give them their whatever help they need or their services. You just talked about Ophelia Garcia and uh, Dr. Ophelia Garcia, and she's amazing. And she actually helped me really reconsider my use of the word English learners, as well as uh, the co-founder of WIDA, Margot Gottlieb. And now they WIDA uses multilingual, uh, but I use language learner because of Ophelia Garcia. And she said that really, there people are just using language as tools, and they have they have, they have a toolkit or a toolbox or a tool belt of of languages, and they use the tool at different times to meet the different needs, right? So, translanguaging—that's the word right, she uses. Exactly. Translanguaging, exactly. which is a new and upcoming term, which is really important for educators to understand. Right. And so, with translanguaging, so people can weave in and out the languages they need at a particular time. So you're just not using a hammer for every single construction tool uh, project that you have. And so that's. I guess in another way of thinking about it, as I, I say, when I work with teachers, I say, there's only one language and that language is communication. And we are using all of our tools to be understood and to understand others. Absolutely. Powerful statement you, right there, Tan. Thank you. You talked about um, developing confidence and uh, would you tell us a story, a specific story that shows how you develop confidence, specifically as a monolingual, bilingual educator? Yeah, I mean, I think I've I've told a couple stories already, um, and I think for me, there's a the story is always being resourceful, and I remember one thing that I talk about in my book is that I actually took all of these interviews that I had with these educators and I recoded them for this book and came up with this mm -hmm. new kind of friendlier system. And it's like a pyramid. And at the bottom of the pyramid is like the teachers that have more of a fixed mindset when it comes to teaching language learners. And at the top of the pyramid is the teachers that have the growth mindset. Mm -hmm. And there's so many different things that get in our way on the way there. Um, and it's always that, that word like, but. I feel prepared, but if I had this. Um, I feel like I could teach these students, but I don't necessarily speak their language, so I don't think I can do that. So I think when it comes to you know self-confidence and self-efficacy, and being prepared it a lot of it relies on just kind of that that story you're telling in your brain and i think it's important that we all know our story and for me one of the one of the ways that i tap into my understanding and my confidence with my students is this whole idea of culture 
And I mm -hmm. use that idea of culture because culture isn't a language. Culture is something that we can all learn and it's all something that we're all, it's constantly devolving, evolving. And if you ask anybody what their definition of culture is, you're gonna get a million different definitions um, because it is something that's liquid and it's something that's fluid and it's something that's ever changing with our times. And you know, we have a lot of mixed race families. We have mixed race on top of mixed race on top of you know a grandfather from here, a great grandfather from there, a mother from here. You know, there is so many different mixtures that there wasn't in our society, you know, 50 to 100 years or more ago. And so being able to understand that story that you're telling yourself and being able to to put yourself in that place. And for me, it was when I studied abroad when I was in college and I studied abroad in New Zealand. So the fact that I had the opportunity to put myself in another culture and live there and be there for six months was almost as important for me as learning a language. I happened to be in a country that was speaking English. I went to New Zealand, which was all the way on the other side of the world. But for me to be on the other side of the world, I was able to see a different lens. So having that kind of open-mindedness is almost as valuable as learning another language. And the two things go together because you can't teach language without culture and you can't teach culture without language. So being able to tie those things together, back to what I said before about every professional development session, all the professional development sessions should include something about language and something about culture that should be married together, like the peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> right. Nice analogy. Yeah. Ophelia Garcia and her colleagues also say that uh, teaching is a political act. And so when we teach language, we are teaching culture and we have to be super careful about the culture that we are uh, teaching that we're putting on a pedestal and cultures that we are not spotlighting and then putting on their pedestals as well. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that statement. I mean, there's there's so much out there to honor beyond just your classroom and not mm. just necessarily only the cultures in your classroom, but how can it's how can we create that open-mindedness, that acceptance, that understanding of equity? Would you tell us about your research that was the basis for your book? So you said yeah. you went and interviewed teachers who are monolingual and they're assigned to work with language learners. So how yeah, they so yeah. absolutely. So back in 2017 is when I finished defending my dissertation. And I always had said to myself, I'm going to do something with this work that I just spent two and a half years of my life on. And mm -hmm. I'm going to put parts of it in a book. And so I don't know how many dissertations you've read, but they're not the most exciting and entertaining to read. So my idea behind it was that I was going to use pieces from this dissertation to, to be as be part of the book. And the book is broken into three parts. And the first part of unlocking unlimited potential is building your foundation. And you build your foundation through knowing your why, knowing your purpose, growth mindset, social emotional learning, and understanding your core values. And the second part is using challenges as opportunities to grow. And that's where this research comes in. So I use the under, I use this story and that I've talked about here as how I embraced the challenge of being in a new position and working with students that research time and time again said that 
was very challenging for educators, that educators were constantly reporting being challenged by working with English language learners because there's a lot of teachers out there that are just thrown into these positions or may not necessarily have the credentials or the certificate or the research background that they need to be able to work with this area of students, the language learners. And so I kind of tie in the story of how I became a, a dual language teacher and how that under that challenge kind of at first how uncomfortable I was and how nervous I was and how I just had no idea what I was doing, but I just kept going and I kept learning and I leaned on my colleagues and I used that story as kind of the baseline for this research and I kind of unfold how we as teachers sometimes look at groups of students because they have certain backgrounds or they have certain, you know, inequities or they have certain labels that they've came to us with and we get scared of that and how I kind of go through and say well what kind of language learner teacher are you and by looking at this pyramid of these different kind of labels that I came up with on my own of of what I found from my research you can kind of address who you are and where you stand and then the next chapter is followed by, and it's titled, Culturally Responsive Teaching is Our Future. And if we've learned anything since this pandemic of what's happening in the world, especially here in the United States, I mean, we need to be more cult culturally responsive than ever. And with all the different things going on, not to get political, but with the election and all the different things that have been happening in our country, I mean, we're really, it took a pandemic for us in schools to turn around and say, well, now social emotional learning is really important. Now understanding equity is really important. And it took all of these moments in history for us to t turn around and say, well, yeah, now these things are important. So now it's time for us to make sure we focus on those things. But why did it take a pandemic for us to learn that? This is stuff has been happening for the past 50 years or more. And so that whole part there, that that idea of, of looking at challenges as opportunities, like we shouldn't be, if we have students in our class that go home to families that are language learners, we shouldn't just stop right there. Well, I don't speak this language. I can't communicate with that parent. We've already hit a dead end. And I've, I've met teachers that are, that have gone through that process of believing that they really can't help that they, because they don't speak English. And I'm not gonna lie, when I first started out, when I first started teaching, I, I was that same person. I thought that, okay, I don't speak Spanish, there's nothing I can do here. And so it's just kind of about understanding how to empower yourself and how to understand that there are resources and there are tools to overcome anything that you want. And the final chapter of the book goes right into, it's believing in you. So. Now that we've looked at all of this, now let's look at all the research out there and let's tie in. I tie in research from not only the Ophelia Garcia and Dewey and Maslow and all those, the kind of the, the really great people that are out there doing this research, but I also tie in research from personal development experts and Tony Robbins, Rachel Hollis, Brene Brown, Jack Canfield are a few of the names. And I try to connect in not only that we're teaching people to teach students, but we're also teaching teachers to, to understand that inside of them is a power 
that once unleashed can be mm -hmm. contagious throughout their entire mm -hmm. learning community. That's really beautiful. Would you tell us about that pyramid that you first uh, introduced earlier? Yeah. So like I said, so the bottom of the pyramid, the fixed mindset is what I call the I'm not prepared enough teacher. Mm. So it's that teacher that says, well, you know, what? Uh, I just I don't know enough to to work with these students and I just don't feel like I have enough preparation and they use that preparation eventually becomes an excuse. Yeah, it's probably the truth, but it becomes an excuse. Well, I just don't know enough to do that. And then there is the, if I knew more Spanish, I could teach her. Or if I knew more of whatever the language is, right? So that is something that I run into a lot and I've talked about. There's the wishy-washy teacher, the, the yeah, but teacher, the teacher, yeah, I, I get that, I can teach language learners, but... I don't know if I really can do it, you know, so they're just kind of wishy-washy. And then I call the real bilingual teacher. The real bilingual teacher is someone who, who basically, they speak, they're bilingual. They're really bilingual. They speak one or two or more languages. And so they understand that idea of, of how languages work because they've literally walked through learning a language in their own life. And as we move up the pyramid, we continue the empowered special education teacher. What I found in my research was that special education teachers, they look at the challenge of teaching English language learners. They felt more empowered to teach English language learners because they were used to structuring assignments and lesson plans and scaffolding with their students, similar to the way that language learning students would language learning teachers um, teach. And then once we get to the top of the pyramid, the, the, the motivated, I call this one, the motivated by growing up an L teacher. So this is, was really one of the, had one of the hardest working, one of the most positive mindsets that I found was the teachers who grew up and, and could, as a, as a language learner, whether they were an immigrant themselves um, they came into this country, they talked about stories of being that kid in the classroom when everybody else was speaking another language. They were sometimes that kid pushed to the side, or they were sometimes that kid in the class who was just so confused. They had such a deep connection, and they had so many great strategies and so many great ideas for working with language learners and that kind of never-say-stop attitude. And finally, at the top of the pyramid is what I call the unlimited potential, which kind of the unlimited potential teacher, which takes into account all of these things. It takes into account the idea of a really strong growth mindset, the understanding and empathy of working with students that have grown up in this position. And also they have the understanding and, and ability to research and use resources to learn how to become more empowered by themselves and with those resources around them. So that's the pyramid in a nutshell. As I'm listening, I definitely hear the, uh, the, the Tony Robinson inside of you and the Brene Brown. You're definitely channeling the uh, inspiration <laughs> part because teachers can learn the techniques, uh, but sometimes it's that uh, feeling of being scared and not prepared. Because I, I clearly remember the first time I moved into language acquisition. So I was uh, teaching language literature for the last four years up to that point. So my first four years of teaching was teaching language literature. 
poorly, very poorly. And then I moved to working with language learners. And I, I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Why am I even doing this job? Like, I don't know how I'm helping my kids. And slowly, slowly, but through every book that I read, every article that I read, each interaction that I had with my students, uh, the interactions that I had with colleagues at conferences online, I started to learn, uh, okay, so this is how you do it. Um, and, and learning from leaders such as Andrew Huggensfeld, Jana, Jana Chavaria, just the, the leaders in our field and saying, okay, it starts with a can-do mindset first. And, and from there, I just started to build on more strategies. And when I saw, when I started seeing kids with what they can do, everything changed. Um, so let's talk about that. What can teachers who are monolingual, who are, bi who are working at a bilingual school or teachers who are monolingual or uh, not prepared or feel like they're not prepared to work with language learners, what can they do to support their kids and to uh, add tools to their toolkit? Well, Tan, I think you're the perfect example because the way that I met you, I don't know when it was, maybe a couple months ago, maybe several months ago, the way that I met you was you were reaching out to the Twitter verse, the Twitter universe, and you were saying, I'm, does anybody, you, you said something like, what is one strategy or one thing that someone wants to learn about or something along the lines of that? And I remember responding to the tweet and I, and I didn't think anything of it at the time. And I was like, oh, okay, I'd like to learn about this. And it was related to, I can't remember what you said, but it was related to something that you were talking about. And then like a week later, you wrote an article about it. And yeah. so that's a perfect example. So if there's something that you want to learn about, whether it's a strategy or whether it's, you know, reading strategies for working with language learners, or maybe it's learning translanguaging. We've talked a lot about translanguaging. That's something I talk about a lot, a lot, a lot about in my work, in my, the classes that I teach um, with, uh, as a professor, um, whatever that is, and finding those strategies, or maybe it's just helpful strategies to work with English language learners. I mean, with the age of Google, you can find anything and yeah. you're going to find lots of long lists and you're going to find great researchers that are out there and you're going to be able to be your own researcher and find what works. And you're also, you know, I always say this is find someone that you, you think is a really strong educator. You mm -hmm. can either follow them on Twitter or Instagram out there there's so many great educators out there that are posting things and so much content daily i mean i even join every once in a while i join the the twitter chat the l chat or i i actually am in about five to six chats a week that i join in chats about culture chats about in different groups chats about all the with where there's all these people out there so the first place to start with is is your your pln your professional learning network and finding those people that are out there that you can rely on and that you can follow and with a click of a button and you can see about 30 different things that you could use and there's so much information out there finding what it is that you want understanding first and foremost what is it that you want to get better at once you find out what it is you want to get better at then you can start to talk about okay well if i want to get better at this what's my how what's my plan how am i going to do that well i need to look after this author and I need to read this book or maybe I just need to watch these videos on YouTube and it's all out there 
and it's all right in front of our face. There's really no excuse why we can't get better because it, in this day and age, people a hundred years ago couldn't say this. In this day and age, we can, you know? And so I think that that's where it all begins. Um, and there are a million different strategies. And, and the thing is, you just try it. And if it doesn't work, you give yourself that grace that you tried something new and you as a great educator, you're going to come up with something better tomorrow. You, you talked, you touched on a topic that I, there's a quote that, that goes like this, the smartest person in the room is the room. And you're talking about the professional learning network where if we don't know something, most likely our network does. And so we tap into that. Um, and so, so that is very true going I can see that a person who might be new to working with language learners, that's the first step to, to surround yourself, to tap into, to find a community, and then to be brave enough to say, I'm really confused on what to do. How do I do this? And, I re and people really can find that community on Twitter. So or they can find it definitely uh, live in person in their local communities uh, in the school district. But for those who don't have that community, because of their circumstances, they can find it on Twitter. Absolutely. It's all out there. It's just waiting to be discovered. Yeah. I think it's very similar to, um, you were talking about how you don't need to know students' languages to be able to help them. And that's very true. So I know five languages pretty poorly. Uh, and yet, the, because my class had, like my school has 81 languages or 81 nationalities. And so it's not possible for me to know 81 languages. And so yet I can still, I still consider myself a language acquisition teacher, uh, a dual language educator, because I'm trying to maintain and sustain their home language while uh, helping them add another language to their toolkit, to their linguistic repertoire. And so what else can you talk, can you talk more about um, What's one thing that a teacher can do to uh, to make their instruction more culturally responsive? Yeah, absolutely. I like to start off with, you know, whether it's a survey um, or whether it's just questions you're asking students and they're they're talking about. But I think the the questions that are important to ask and find out about right on the standpoint is what is your background with languages? What is what languages are spoken in your home? what languages are spoken in your family, have been spoken in your family over the years, um, what nationalities are there in your family. That question there is one question. And I kind of have this represented on like a circle graph. So I start off with taking a circle and dividing it into four parts. And this is what I use with educators, actually. Um, but you can also use it with students. So the beginning is, what is your language background ex or experience? So. That basically means what languages do you speak? Um, what languages are spoken in your home? What languages are spoken in your family? What languages um, have you kind of had interaction with in your life, maybe when you travel or anything like that? And then the another part of the circle is what is your history with different cultures? So for me, I travel often. So I've been to the I've been to Europe. I've been to New Zealand. I've been to Caribbean. I've been to different countries where I've spoken, I've learned and heard other languages being spoken. Um, 
And what is those histories with those cultures comes into, okay, I'm also, I've been a teacher in New York City. I've been a teacher in Vermont. Mm -hmm. I've been a teacher in New right. Hampshire. All those things come into play. So getting an understanding of what students' understanding is and what cultures they've experienced, whether at home or whether in the school or whether in the community and beyond. And then the other part is, okay, what's your family background? All right, I have an Italian background, an Irish background, a German background. Um, and a, 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 I'm, for me, it's, you know, I'm a father of three girls. So how many siblings do you have? Those kinds of questions as well. And then finally, the last question is kind of what has been, and I ask this to students, but if I'm asking this to educators, it's how do you teach cultural understandings in the classroom? But if I'm working with students, I'm going to say, well, how have you been taught culture? How have you learned about culture? And a lot of times what pops out is the holidays or it's a book that a text that was read um, because those are like the two most, you know, what most educators consider being the times where they've taught culture. They don't really realize that culture is not just like a black and white thing that we just, you know, you turn on and turn off. Culture's everywhere. Culture's in the organization. Culture's in the family. Culture's in the life. Um, so those are just kind of that strategy. And then what happens is, is they take this circle, they cut it in, into the four pieces, and then on four different charts in the classroom, we go and we put all our responses and we walk around. And when I do this with educators and I do this with teachers, in about 15 minutes through like a gallery walk, you can learn so much about the people in the classroom without even speaking to them. And you can learn so much about the people that you're working with or the teachers that you're working with. And you can learn about, oh, this person has all these interesting backgrounds and these people have, and we together have all these similarities and all these differences. And it's just an empowering experience. Right. So culture responsive teaching is really understanding what students already have with them. Assets yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's about understanding. It's about understanding where they are. And it's a lot related to so social emotional learning, too. And that it's, you know, this idea of their mindset. I think culturally responsiveness is, you know, be cultural understanding is a, is a mindset. How do you are you open minded? Are you not open minded to are you willing to accept that there are differences in the world or are you not? Let's end the podcast with these two questions. Is there anything else that you wanted to add about the book that I didn't get to talk about yet? No, absolutely. It's uh, I, it was an, it was a labor of love, and I'm excited to share it with everybody. And I think there's something in there for every educator. So then, who would this uh, book be for uh, when you were writing it? Who was like the intention? Yeah, so it's for every educator. It's for principals, it's for administrators, it's for parents, it's for the new teacher, it's for the veteran teacher. Um, and it's there's something in it for everyone, even those people who may not consider themselves teachers, like I said before, parents. Um, there's a lot in it that you can use. And, and in each chapter, you walk away with something that you can use in your classroom tomorrow. And I think that's important whenever you read. And there's reflective exercises that you do along with me so that you can kind of reflect on what you're reading right away and, and come out with an action plan for the next day. What would you tell uh, your yourself uh, when you first started teaching as a monolingual bilingual educator now that you've done this for 17 years? <laughs> I would tell myself to stay positive and mm. believe that the work that you are doing is going to help so many and that 
you're not only going to help others, but so many, you're going to learn so much more from these students than you could ever imagine. Yes. Sometimes I feel like the kids, I learn more from the kids than they learn from me in a day. Absolutely. Let's end this podcast with my uh, traffic light, te- with the traffic light teaching, which is uh, red, yellow, and green light. Or, uh, red is something that you ask teachers to consider not doing anymore about with their practice related to language learners. The yellow is something that you, we can do to help slow down our practice. And then the green is something that we could do to uh, continue doing as much as possible related to language learners. Okay, that's a good one. So red is stop putting your students in boxes and <laughs> stop thinking that because a student ha- may or may not understand you 100% that they are unable to do what everybody else is doing. Um, yes. They are able and it's your responsibility to scaffold better instruction. Slow down our practice. To slow down our practice we have to make sure that we are empowered by great research. And mm-hmm. in order to slow down our practice, we need to focus on the understanding. And I said it before, understanding that every kid in your classroom, um, there are language learners in your classroom that are not identified and that are not labeled. And you should definitely be aware of understanding who those students are and do not give up on them. Yeah. And then green, it was something that you need to do as much as possible. Is that what it was? And something that you yeah. need to do as much as possible is you need to make sure that you are having conversations one-on-one with students and yeah. making sure that you are focusing on relationships first. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have relationships with your students, mm-hmm. it's like driving a car without an engine. It's <laughs> a great analogy. It really is. We are in the relational we're, we're in a relational, relational business. We are not in a transactional business. And we are in a field where it's based upon interactions with each other. And interactions are all about relationships. It's not really about, it, it is instruction, of course. But to get Absolutely. to instruction, we have to earn students' trust and our colleagues as well. I agree. Well, Dr. Brennan Beck, thank you again for uh, your labor of love. Now uh, you have a book and you're sharing with us uh, what ways we can support kids, even if we feel like we're just a monolingual uh, educator, not just a monolingual educator. So that's not just, right? So again, thank you for, for that and your time. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Before we recap this episode, I have a favor and an invitation. My favor is to ask you to please review this podcast if you found it valuable so that teachers like you become inspired and informed in their advocacy work. My invitation is for you to enroll in my scaffolding learning or teacher collaboration courses. I've taken the principles that I've learned from experts in the field. I've applied them to my classes. I kept the things that worked and I'm sharing all of them in these courses. I hope you consider enrolling. Now, onto our recap. The central message that I'm taking away from the conversation with Dr. Brennan Beck is that monolingual teachers are just as valuable in the life of a student as the multilingual educator. 
as monolingual educators, we can carry the banner of multilingualism, multiculturalism, and multiliteracies, just like our multilingual counterparts. Are we advocating for students to use their home languages while in our classes? Are we finding ways to create opportunities for students to tap into their culture to connect to the content? Do we stand with our multilingual colleagues who stand against English-only policies? Dr. Beck's interview reminds us that language learners do need all teachers to be in their corners, not just the language specialists. In the next episode, we'll start a series on teacher collaboration. And to start that off, we'll have the prolific Dr. John Hattie join us to talk about collective teacher efficacy. Thank you for listening. I'll see you soon. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine.